Welcome, everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is Bain Hunter. He's the CEO of GetSwift Technologies. Good morning, Bain. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Thank you for having me on your program. Our, our pleasure. So, so Bain, for, for those that are not familiar with GetSwift Get Tech, um, can you give us a quick overview? Sure, certainly. Um, so GetSwift, uh, simply put, um, provides, uh, think of it as a simple, secure, uh, cloud-based SaaS solution that automates your last mile requirement. Um, again, to make it even simpler, we don't have drivers, that we, you know, we don't have vehicles and everything else. Think of it as a comprehensive suite of products that allow anybody, um, basically regardless of their geography, regardless of their size, so whether you're a mom and pop store or you're a large multinational, to get up and running and serve your customers from a delivery perspective without having to invest humongous amounts of money either in developing your own solution or giving away your brand equity and huge margins to somebody else. Okay. Are you tracking um, the drivers as well or that's left to other companies? Oh, no, 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 no. We have uh, actually a whole, let's call it, suite of products, right? So I don't want to bore your customers too much. Pardon me, your customers. I don't want to bore, bore your listeners too much with it. But let me just kind of list a few of the examples in terms of what the platform does. Uh, dispatching sure. and routing, um, driver carrier fleet management, uh, tracking alerts and dashboard, right? Um, Invoicing, uh, cash management, customer feedback, um, records management, uh, driver safety and learning and declarations, uh, real-time business intelligence and analytics, data exchanges, um, obviously mobile app, workforce management, etc. And the reason I kind of mentioned that, let's call it full life cycle, is that, again, if you're a small shop and let's say you're doing, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 deliveries, a day, you don't need something that's very complex. All you really need is something that will um, tell your drivers where to go, um, how many deliveries to take, in what order, and inform your customers that their delivery is uh, coming. They can track in real time and provide the feedback. Now, granted, if you're a much larger organization and you have legacy systems, you have some, let's call it, um, uh, integration requirements you might need, you might have a hub model, you might have a multi-regional model. Well, that's where we come in as well. Again, plugging in additional modules that will allow you to scale, and as we kind of call it, you know, the multiple S's, scalability, security, and sustainability. That's all important, uh, especially in this day and age where I would be truly believe both customer and business behavior has fundamentally shifted and changed. Okay. And, you know, it, obviously the delivery is a large market, but your addressable portion is about how big? Oh, it depends uh, on, let me, let me put you this way. One of the things that makes us very much different than anybody else is initially, and I just have to take a few seconds to just kind of, kind of go into the history of GetSwift. Um, we were a company that was, you know, for all intents and purposes, doing a liquor delivery. We were called Liquor Run. And we found that uh, we couldn't find a solution that would scale efficiently um, with the growth of the company. And we developed a system that ended up becoming GetSwift 1.0. And from the very early days, we decided that what we wanted to do is create what's called a horizontal, right? Not become what I would call an ultra-niche specialist, whether it be food or whether it be something else. We wanted to effectively become, for all intents and purposes, this horizontal that regardless of geography, regardless of what uh, business you happen to be in, regardless of the size, 
you have the ability to utilize GetSwift. Today, we've demonstrated and proven this. We are, I believe, in over 70-some-odd verticals, meaning industries, and being utilized in over across 70-some-odd countries. So our addressable market, if you think about it, the total addressable market globally, um, I have to look at the exact figure. And again, this is not a figure that we came up with. I believe it's a figure that somebody else did the research. It's over $360 billion per year. Now, granted, you know, the big boys operate in it, you know, the Walmarts of the world, the Amazons of the world, and what have you not. We see ourselves as, let's call it, complementary to that, and uh, a slightly different offering, if you want to call it. We don't compete with them. We complement them, and we offer um, those who don't want to worship at that particular altar an alternative. Okay. And, and so... In terms of the competitive landscape, uh, the ones you mentioned, are, are they the largest, or, or, or uh, who is, and where do you fit in? Oh, well, they're definitely uh, the largest, right? So the competitive landscape, as I always tend to say, we have competitors in specific verticals, right? Uh, meaning in the verticals that they tend to compete, whether it be food, uh, whether it be, for example, uh, you know, uh, trucking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, Amazon and Walmart, for example, are, I won't call it co- uh, competitors per se, but they offer uh, what I would call alternatives. And the alternative that the likes of, you know, Amazon, Walmart, and others, or the big boys offer, they'll offer uh, businesses the ability to operate within their ecosystem, right? So in other words, you come, you know, behind the portal of Amazon, you're on their effectively marketplace and everything kind of gets managed. And, you know, um, companies can be quite successful doing that. We, on the flip side, what we do is we offer an alternative to that, meaning companies get to preserve their own brand equity. If they decide to do uh, what do you call uh, deliveries, they will set up uh, and set the fees and structures associated with fees. They don't necessarily compete with themselves or or with anybody else that they're already not competing. Uh, We will, and I'm happy to go and get into the monetization aspect of it, but for example, we'll offer companies an ability to say, hey, what do you think if for 2% of your basket size, we'll help you manage everything from end to end. And the data is your data, the brand is your brand, the customer is your customer, and you don't have to worry about it at all. So some of the companies that I can kind of mention that operate in very specific uh, niches, you might have uh, companies such as like Onfleet and Bring that compete in North America. But again, very specialized niches, and I don't really consider them direct competitors uh, to GetSwift. Okay. And who are your customers? Our customers, quite frankly, we have a saying internally inside the company. I said, we, our customers are those who deliver. So get, we say that GetSwift is for those who deliver. Um, you will find our customers, everything from um, your local pizza place, uh, your local florists, um, your neighbor, you know, all the way up to a large multinational that has stores uh, in 15, 20 countries and has literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of outlets. Uh, Flip side as well, we are very good in terms of what we call uh, predictive modeling and data analysis. So one of the areas that we kind of jumped in a little while ago was in the farm-to-table sector. We noticed that even some of the, let's call it the big boys in this particular sector, were struggling with it. So in the farm-to-table sector, we've been making some incredible inroads, mostly in North America, to be to be to be uh, direct. But let me give you let me give you one statistic, which we are exceptionally proud of. 
um, what I call pre-get-swift and post-get-swift. When you look at some of these, let's call it farms and you know, let's call it regional businesses, pre-get-swift, their average basket size, meaning you know, their order was 20-some-odd dollars. Post-get-swift, after what our interaction with them, building them the front-end e-commerce site, handling uh, what do you call uh, their, uh, their workforce management, if they need that, the last mile deliveries, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, optimizing the full life cycle. We're seeing that basket size go up to a little over $80. Now, think impact that that has on your, what I call, um, Main Street, right? Uh, I've been saying this over and over again, you know, $10,000 a month um, is acceptable for a small business, but imagine you take that business to sixteen or $18,000 a month. Again, the six to $8,000 a month does not represent even a blip on the radar in some of these, uh, let's call it, uh, larger marketplaces. But you start doing that in a small ecosystem, and you start doing that across a number of businesses. And what have we seen? We've seen employment go up. We've seen, uh, quite frankly, a rebound, rebound, you know, almost like a rebirth of, 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 the small, of the small business ecosystem as a result of them embracing um, new technology and new opportunities uh, and expanding their marketplace. And it's something that we've been, what I call, gives, it gives you a warm glow beyond just the, the commercial aspects associated with it. So our customers, point blank, um, anybody and everybody that has a need to uh, effectively operate in the last mile space. Okay. And then how are you reaching them? What, what marketing channels? Now, this is what's, uh, I think, uh, rather uh, amazing about it. Um, we have a very, very, very small uh, sales team, right? The majority of our staff really is focused on technology, uh, onboarding. Uh, onboarding, I believe, is a challenge for anybody if you think about it from that, from that perspective. But really what we tend to do is we tend to use a lot of social media. We tend to use case studies and word of mouth. So I would say that probably, oh, don't quote me on this, but probably about 70 to 80% of our business is all uh, incoming. Um, very little is actually uh, focused on what I would call either direct marketing or direct sales. We've been extremely, extremely fortunate that the word of mouth has spread in terms of, quite frankly, the commercial impact that we're having once we're deployed. Okay. Uh, how about COVID? How, how has that affected you? Uh, well, both positively and negatively. Um, let me start with actually the negative aspect of it. Um, obviously, COVID has been a tragedy for uh, everybody involved. Uh, in our particular case, we lost uh, two uh, team members to COVID. Um, and it was something that myself personally and quite frankly, everybody in the company took very hard. Uh, we lost one person, I believe it was on a Tuesday and then on a Wednesday we heard that the second passed away. They were both on ventilators. Um, we had three people on ventilators and two unfortunately didn't make it. So the cost of human tragedy is something that, you know, um, has been far and wide, and it's, it's something that's going to stay for us forever. So nothing that we do on a positive commercial side can ever make up for that. Um, having said that, when we look at what COVID has done, um, in our opinion, what it has done, it has accelerated drastically, compressed the, let's call it the trends, where we saw um, the economy and the business heading, heading towards. For us, uh, it's been commercially uh, absolutely what I would call bonkers in terms of 
both the demand and the, let's call it the awakening. Um, a lot of, uh, I would say, companies have come to realize that they either need to have some form of, let's call it, change in their both operating principles, models, and technology in order to remain competitive and to, to uh, embrace what's become the new dynamic. I don't think that this new dynamic is going away. I think that it's here to stay. I mean, you know, I, I, everybody I speak to has turned around and said, look, delivery has now become the new norm, right? Even if you look at it, even if you look at it purely from a retail perspective as well, it's going to change. It's going to, it's going to change drastically. So we see that COVID has, if anything, just accelerated the change. Um, we knew it was coming. Uh, it has surprised us in terms of what I would say the duration. Um, when I was asked at the beginning of the pandemic, and one of the things I did before even you know, it became uh, a mandatory requirement, I looked at the data that was coming out in terms of infections, and I said once it hit certain aspects of it, I was going to start closing down offices. So we closed all our offices down probably about two to three months before everybody else started doing it. But what surprised me was duration. I thought that the pandemic was going to last at most three months, maybe six. Um, I wasn't expecting it to last this long. So uh, fundamentally, uh, we're living in a new, let's call it world. We're living in a new environment, and it's here to stay. Okay. And in terms of uh, who you're going after, it sounds like, you know, it, it, if I'm hearing correctly, you know, it's it's all verticals. It's uh, uh -huh. all sizes. Um, so how do I think of it in terms of ASP or your, your average uh, selling price? Ah, so let me tell you um, about what I call our flexible economics. So um, we have a model for just about every single customer. So your most simplistic one is what I call on a per-transaction basis, right? So, you know, you go to our website, you use your credit card, you're up and running within an hour, right? And you basically use credits uh, per delivery. Now, granted, that also gets uh, what I would say categorized because based upon your geography, based upon, you know, the, the size of your orders and et cetera, obviously there's going to be pricing that's going to be um, – you know, vastly different. So, for example, somebody in Brazil is going to be paying, obviously, less than somebody in the UK, and somebody who's doing, let's say, 10,000 deliveries a month is going to be paying less than somebody who's doing, you know, let's say, 100. Next, uh, from an from a economic standpoint, what we also do is we will do a percent of the e-commerce e basket size. So I kind of alluded to this earlier. For some of our customers, we'll turn around and say, look, we'll provide an end-to-end -end solution. It'll cost you, let's say, 2% of your basket size. For some customers, it works exceptionally well because it's built into their model. Some, uh, we will actually charge a monthly subscription. They usually have what I call static runs, so whatever it might be, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a month, etc. Some are, um, again, depending on the module that they plug in, for example, in the workforce management module, in addition to what I've outlined, we might charge them a dollar or a dollar fifty per driver. Uh, there's also an ability to charge per customer. Um, we obviously have a payment module built into our platform, so there's a, there's a charge being built from that. And then last but not least, there's also recurring maintenance advisory and what I call per project or per program where a customer will come to us and articulate a specific, uh, let's call it a pro problem, that they need uh, resolved and what we will do is we'll, we will charge them for that. So um, in addition to that, what we're also doing, we're moving what I call further upstream to data infrastructure and sourcing, right? So. Um, one of the things that I believe your, your listeners um, need to kind of think, embrace, and this is just our, our view of it, right or wrong, is 
we believe that, you know, like the first mover advantage for gig economics is over, right? There's still bits and pieces left to be picked off, but just calling yourself a first mover per se, I think that's over. Um, I, I, you know, we believe that automation is the next big step, right? We believe that automation is the next big step, and everything that we've been doing um, has been leading towards automation, including our patent strategy and including our product evolution. Okay. So um, getting back to the revenue model, if, if I heard you correctly, you have several revenue models, but all of them, in, in any case, it's, uh, it's recurring revenue. Is that correct? Well, um, we divide, uh, obviously, um, our revenue between reoccurring and non-recurring. I would say that a large portion of it is reoccurring, but we do have some, and this is the one that I was talking about in terms of either per project or per, pro per program or initiative, is non-reoccurring. So um, I, would, I would encourage your, uh, obviously, listeners to go on to our, what I would call, CEDAR uh, filing and take a look at uh, how, uh, you know, um, our accountants, RSM in this particular case, have divided that between reoccurring and non-reoccurring. Our focus, obviously, is on reoccurring revenue. Yes. Okay. And how would you summarize your growth strategy? Well, as far as our growth strategy is concerned, uh, we look at it this way. Um, one of the reasons why we went forth and, uh, you know, we are where we are, both in terms of verticals and both in terms of uh, locations, is we wanted to effectively have almost like a global POC, right, proof of concept. Forgive me for the acronym. And we now uh, understand and have a much better comprehension in terms of what are what I would call fertile fields and what are not fertile fields. We also see that some of the, let's call it, key players um, in the uh, e-commerce or let's call it in the, um, in the market that deals with uh, deliveries um, are going to need uh, organizations or companies like GetSwift with the services that we provide. So our growth, I would say, is going to be divided into two trajectories. Right. The first trajectory is what I would call complementary partnerships, but being very judicious about who we seek to partner with, whether it's the big boys or not. And the second one is to start harvesting uh, those, let's call it fields, that we have now data modeled and we have tested and we understand have an opportunity, opportunity for growth. Our growth has been, um, you know, well, I would say, Despite the challenges that we have faced, um, I think it's been satisfactory. Uh, we expect that growth to be able to continue. Obviously, there's going to be some cyclical aspects. And as a company, we just need to decide where we want to reallocate those resources and we were, where do we want to reallocate capital, both from what I would call short, medium, and long-term gains. Okay. So I, I see that you made uh, a few acquisitions. Uh, are you done with that, or, or what's your acquisition strategy? So we indeed made three uh, acquisitions, um, and this goes back to the, the whole concept that we looked at and said, you know, where, where are some of the emerging markets and uh, emerging requirements, and um, how do we jump into it very quickly? So one of the acquisitions we made, for example, was in the workforce uh, management and scheduling 
aspect, which we bought a company called Scheduling Plus. The reason we did that was as a result of direct customer feedback. Uh, some of our customers were asking us for that service, and when we did not have that component, they asked us to integrate with a big provider out there. And when that big provider came to us and said, you know, we want to sign an agreement with you guys on a global scale, but we wanted to make it exclusive, we realized, hey, we're on to something. The second acquisition that we made was uh, DBP, Delivery Biz Pro, and that was the farm to sector table. And it's something that we have been exceptionally happy with because it has grown by leaps and bounds and it's, 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 it's been performing wonderfully for us and um, it holds a lot of potential and I expect a lot of good things. And then the last component that we made is we made an acquisition of Logo, which is a company in Europe located in uh, Serbia. And what Logo has given us, it has given us, uh, again, a component that we did not have. It gave us a component on the data infrastructure um, and sourcing capability. So in other words, it gave us the capability to actually tackle European markets, tackle, tackle execution, and tackle infrastructure, which again, with some of our, let's call it, larger opportunities that are out there, slots very nicely with our, uh, you know, let's call it comprehensive model. Now, um, you asked me, are we done with acquisitions? Look, I'm not going to say um, yes, I'm not going to say no. I think it's going to be dependent on um, how the market evolves, how quickly the market evolves, and whether certain things make sense for us, either from a consolidation standpoint or from a build versus buy aspect. Right now, um, we don't have any uh, plans from an acquisition standpoint, but if the opportunity presents itself for the right, let's call it, partnership, um, where it would make sense to our uh, shareholders and it would make sense from a market opportunity, it's something that we would obviously uh, look at very carefully and make the appropriate decision. Okay. And so what are some of the gating factors inhibiting growth? Is it finding enough good salespeople or, or what? Um, I think it's something that actually, um, having spoken to a few, let's call it, um, wise heads in this business that are either in an ancillary, in an ancillary, uh, let's call it, uh, situation or a somewhat similar situation, I think one of the constraints is what I call the uh, onboarding aspect of it, meaning as you start getting a plethora of customers to the door, is kind of sorting out the customers in terms of who needs to be onboarded, how quickly, how fast, um, what are some of the challenges associated with it. So, for example, um, for us, we've been operating in some areas that nobody would have gone into and would have said, well, it's too bloody difficult. For example, uh, we're in Kuwait, we're in Pakistan, we are in Saudi Arabia, we're doing deliveries, we're doing deliveries for alcohol in uh, Egypt for Heineken, for example. Uh, these are all what I call very, very tough challenges that uh, most, uh, I would say, companies wouldn't want to wouldn't take, take on. But we did it for a number of reasons. Um, one, obviously, because we wanted to tackle the challenge, and we figured if we tackle the most difficult environment, then the other environment should be relatively easy. So onboarding, is, I think, is a, is, a, is a challenge. The second thing is what I call uh, legacy systems. So legacy systems that certain uh, companies may have where uh, just integrating with those legacy systems and getting those legacy systems to effectively talk to, your, to either uh, each other effectively or your own platform or within what I would call customer requirements tends to be at times complex. And last but not least, the other thing that kind of inhibits, inhibits growth is 
well, it comes down to you have a limited amount of resources. Where are you going to invest them? Um, we as a company, uh, unfortunately, had to have an inordinate amount of expenses in the last couple of years that we had not factored in, that were not geared towards growth, were geared more towards, unfortunately, legal. Um, and in my personal opinion, I wish we could have kind of devoted that to growth, because uh, if it had been devoted to growth, I think the company in itself would have been doing even better than it's doing today. Okay. And what are some of the drivers or, or tailwinds that you have? Um, well, the first one I think we touched upon already, which is uh, changing uh, consumer behavior. Two, I think that finally, um, you know, I would say businesses have come to realize that struggling against this is difficult. And I kind of use this analogy. You know, my background uh, also was in media and entertainment for a while. And I jokingly said this reminds me very much of the uh, DVD versus the digital fight, right? Uh, when you had digital kind of manifest itself out, everybody who was working in the DVD, let's call it, uh, sector kept saying, why the hell should we give up on DVDs? Look at the profitability. It makes sense. DVDs are never going to go away. Same thing with CDs. Well, you know, fast forward, you know, today everybody's doing, you know, either VD, VOD, video, video on demand, or DTO, download to own, etc. It's changed fundamentally the model. So I believe that um, we are effectively at the cusp of that, but particularly in our sector. And then last but not least, um, the unit economics makes sense. People have found that by implementing uh, a solution like GetSwift, that the unit economics makes sense for them, that actually not only are they protecting their market share and decreasing their uh, operational costs, they're actually increasing their profits and increasing, increasing um, their, their, their you know, gross takeaways. So that in itself, I think those three uh, tailwinds are going to be very, very helpful to GetSwift and anybody that uh, operates in this, in this particular field. Very good. So before we go, any closing remarks or, or key takeaways you want us to have? Uh, certainly. Um, I think that the best advice that I can give to anybody kind of listening to your show, whether they are a consumer or uh, you know potentially somebody that could be uh, that could benefit from a, from a solution like GetSwift, is as follows: um, Look at at the end of the day at the, at the results. Look at the results. Um, that are being uh, generated, uh, look at the environment around you, and look um, equally importantly in terms of how simple the solution is to use and how easy it is to get up, get up and running. Um, if all of those kind of boxes get kind of, kind of ticked, um, the other thing that I would also turn around and say is, does the company that you're interacting with and does the product that you're considering, does it understand your business? Does it have the same level, does it take the same level of risk in your success as it does in their success? So partner with those, and this is what Get Swift does very well. We don't see ourselves as a vendor. I know that kind of sounds a little bit bizarre, but we see ourselves as a force multiplier for anybody that actually partners with us and works with us. Uh, we genuinely, passionately have a culture of what I call caring, a culture of trying to understand what the interesting problems and needs for our customers and partners are, and then working with them to actually solve them. So that has been uh, something that's been born through what I call a lot of uh, work, um, a lot of personal resilience, corporate resilience that we've had, and we kind of bring that every day 
uh, with us uh, in terms of when we interact with everybody that uh, even is considering us, much less uh, has uh, embraced us. So their success is our success. We mean it, and uh, we live by that ethos. Very good. Well, Ben, thank you so much for sharing the, the Get Swift story. Thank you for your time, and uh, have a wonderful day. Thanks, Jeff.